millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. the history technicolor we are here today and we have a special treat very special treat because today we've got millie hello and also we've got wolf hello uh which is great obviously we're like wolf so today we are doing a special episode which was millie's idea because so millie as i understood it this was your idea because you were very cross with us and we thought we were being rubbish in, in brief yes why was that then to stress, it was you who was being rubbish, David. Well, I I'm, don't think I'm a little bit out of it. Anyway, putting that to a side, although it was Wolf as well. I remember you scoffing, scoffing at every suggestion I made about vampire films. <sighs> yes, that is true. Which yeah, use history in infinitely complex ways. But Because vampires, you know, what's the word? Don't exist. Okay. Um, and then I heard that you were going to do a whole series on Robin Hood films. I know, he's great, isn't he? Dreadful. So right. I called out your double standards. Okay, my double standards, yes. You did um, which out. I think is appalling, because yeah. Robin Hood is, of course, a legend. It is a legend. He not is a real. legend, isn't he? Oh, isn't he? Doesn't exist, much like hey, the vampire. Robin Hood's not real. I, I have no historical <laughs> knowledge. Wolf genuinely didn't know. I'm waiting for the episode. <laughs> Wasn't sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, I thought if I'm going to propose a film, hmm. I'm going to make it Something about myths. Okay. Just to prove a point, basically. I thought this would be a great introduction into a sub-series where we look at folklore, myths and legends and how they play a role in history and how we perceive or don't perceive them as history films. That sounds very good. Yeah, I think that was a brilliant idea. Did you think that was a brilliant idea, Millie? I did think it was a brilliant idea. And it, I happen to be doing a PhD in witches in cinema. Woo! Which... 
And I was writing a piece about the history of the witch. Excellent. So rather than look at vampires, I thought it would be better to do the witch. Fantastic. And the witch uh, being what? The witch being a 2015 film directed by Robert Eggers. Excellent. Very, very tempted to say the what? <laughs> the witch. Keep going. Sorry. Who? Um, the witch? What? <laughs> That's <laughs> great radio. Okay, so, so the uh, the subtitle for The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers, is A New England Folk Tale, which gives us some idea about what it's about. It's set in 1630 in the New England colonies, about a family who have travelled from England to, I suppose, set up their new life there. The family has been banished from the colony, and we meet them when they've just been banished and they're setting out on their own to make a life for themselves in a hostile environment. The family are, we've got the two parents, Catherine and William. Then we've got their eldest daughter, Thomason, who's maybe mid to late teens. Their eldest son, Caleb, who's maybe 13 or 14. And then two much younger twins, Jonas and Mercy. It is, I should also say, a horror film. Great. And why did you choose this particular one rather than all the other films about witches? Um, there are a lot of really crap historical... Are we allowed to swear on the history of Are we? Yes, I think we are. Okay, cool. Yes. Great. <laughs> Great news. Um, there are a lot of really crap historical witch films that try to mythologise some version of Salem or uh, witch hunters in general... They're very vague in terms of historical period. Uh, a lot of them in the 70s, there's a lot of blue eyeshadow going on. They're not particularly interesting, really. They don't have a lot going on in the way of plot. They're really just an excuse to do some movie magic, some spells and Excellent. And this is not, rituals. this is different from that. This is, I think, I mean, have you ever seen a horror movie like this? I tend to avoid horror movies at all on account of the fact that they scare me a lot. So, first mm -hmm. thing first, how pleased are you that we got you to watch it a second time? Mm, not. How not can you be? <laughs> uh, Jane shut the door several times because of the screams coming out, which were, you know, some from the film and, and from me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like horror movies at all. Okay. Did you like the film? What did you think of the film as a film, Wolf? I think this film is phenomenal. Do you? That's good then. That's that handy. Uh, I went to see it at the London Film Festival right. when it came out. And the screen was... A, it was a really big screen and the sound was perfect. It was absolutely deafening. Scared me to my core. And I've never forgotten it. Right. Although it's a shame that I've never been able to achieve that level of fear in viewings of this movie since that time. Because I, I suppose the setup you, was just so good. Yes, you, you can't do it in the future. Okay, so that's our reaction to the... Uh, um, Film. What did you think of the film? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic film. It's kind of part of a wider um, film movement for this sort of high-budget horror that's more focused on atmosphere rather than jump scares and... So was this high-budget, kind of then, this movie? I don't know. Division. I think there's, a, there's an attempt to um, create more quality in inverted commas mm. films, horror films that are of a higher quality. Um, that's obviously a super vague Right, but, term. Exactly. but, I but there is a, a trend in horror movies right now right. 
yeah, there's been a bunch of really good horror films coming out, at least one or two per year, that really get everybody excited, and that's been happening for the last sort of mm. few years in the build-up to this, and has continued since. I was quite interested because I went on to the, uh, I went on to, went online and looked at some of the what people were saying, and it was very polarized. You know, there were people saying this is fifty nine out of ten, and there, well, nobody actually said that, but you know what I mean. And other people said this is the worst thing. It was so boring. It was so pretentious. You know, so as a film, it seems to have had a very different reaction. The critical response was pretty good uh, from my memory, which is why I was so hyped for the film when it came out. I think it was a Sundance release that, that did quite big uh, for a quite a small film, and then it started to go on the festival circuit and it managed to build up a good sort of year of momentum before it came out. Um, and it had quite a staggering release. Um, so I guess it, liked it. it comes down to personal opinion, though. So why was it a good film, Mill? I think as a horror film, it's... Um, completely effective. It does everything that it sets out to do. As a witch film, it kind of perfectly encompasses the best parts of witch mythology and the most interesting historical parts, rather than a lot of the films I've watched have tried to create a new kind of witch myth. Um, and I really appreciated that this kind of stuck it to the history and the historical beliefs. Um, which actually makes it stand out. It's not a typical witch movie in any sense. So that's part of the same reason why I enjoyed it when I wasn't screaming. Sure. Was that I loved the the fabric of it, the, the environment of it, the way it was set up. You felt that you were in... And in actual fact, I didn't know it was a horror movie we went to see it. I don't think Henry did either. And therefore, doubly horrible. We were enjoying it as a tale of pioneers in New England. Um, I'm thinking this is great, this is really what Organizer feels really real and the language was great yeah. uh, and the clothes are a bit clean and tidy but basically great. So when the when the horrible sort of things started happening, I said, why is that goat doing that? But it's, why isn't that hair, you know, and I was generally confused. But it's perfectly believable if you read about which stories, trials, beliefs from the period, it's completely believable as a horror story, a horror film in the eyes of these characters. So that was what we're going to come on to with historical sure. accuracy, isn't it? Absolutely. I thought it was a great film because, obviously, as we've said, the horror aspects are really good. I j the score is terrifying. It's really terrifying score, and it kicks in right from the beginning. I'm looking at still images of trees, sometimes even really nice things, and I'm frightened to my core because of the shrieking, inhuman score playing over the top. It's absolutely fascinating. So there's a really good building of tension. As we mentioned before, the language is phenomenal. Uh, so it should be noted, all of the language in the film is quite archaic and is deliberately structured to reflect exactly how they spoke in 1630. Yeah, so, for example, they from the colony, they were banished. Indeed. Yes. Which I thought was great, because we're going to talk about this in a shed as well, which is brilliant. Yes. <laughs> How long have you been planning that one? <laughs> I didn't really You've work been it. thinking about that really for a while. Mm. I'm surprised you didn't give it away in advance. <laughs> Tell us your joke before. <laughs> what crappy joke are you going to discuss your time? Uh, anyway, yes, you were saying, so I'm feeling sorry for your core as well, I have to say. Because it's yes. been terrified quite a lot so far. I, I, I just thought it was really, um, really enjoyable. Fairly concise. It moves at quite a quick pace. You can't really get bored. The cinematography's really good. There's some really interesting things that they're doing there, which I think reflect the meaning as well, which we can go into at some point. The acting is really good. The The lead, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy? Anya. Anya Taylor-Joy. Very good. Yes. 
She's had her whole career has blossomed since this release, and she's had a bunch of really big films, and is only going to get bigger and better. They were very good. I mean, the, the acting of the Kitty Wings. Caleb. Caleb was great. To me, was the standout. He was really good. Uh, she was brilliant. Annie was fantastic. And the two little ones. Yes. Yep. Very, very creepy. Very, very creepy. creepy. But then children are creepy. They are, they are. You can't have a child singing in a film and have it not absolutely, be creepy. Absolutely, and not be terrified. That is absolutely yeah. correct. The parents are really great character yeah. actors that mm. we all recognise, especially from Game of Thrones, but from a variety of things. And they pull off some really good work in this. They're in Game of Thrones? But yeah, both of them, yeah. I believe. Are they? Yep. Excellent. And the uh, animals. The animals are brilliant Black, actors too. Black Philip has Black such Phillip. a presence. Black Philip has a cult following now. Black Philip is brilliant. Yeah. Black Philip has his own Twitter account. How did they make him do that? He was brilliant. Black Philip was superb. Um, and the hair was decent too. Actually, the thing about the, the nose parent, twitching. Nose twitching. Yeah. Superb nose twitching. Are we being ironic here in a postmodern way? Or I don't are you think really so. impressed with his nose twitching? It's a hair, it twitches its nose. Um, the parents, though, were very good in the sense that, or I felt, that it would have been very easy to cardboard cut out these two Puritans. It would be very easy to send them up and make them just ridiculously. And they were very religious, but they weren't absurdly religious. You felt, well, I'm getting historical accuracy, but I thought they came across as people, not as cardboard cutouts. Well, there is a lot to say about that, I think, in terms of the historical accuracy and the... Um the kind of push and pull between the sort of pridefulness on one sense, the materialism on one side, and the desire to be pure and good, and the constant worrying about original sin and corruption is really prevalent throughout the whole film, right from the beginning. That was high too, I agree, it felt very convincing, not caricatured. Yeah. I think it's really important to note that, yes, we are talking about a horror film, but as you can already tell from our discussion, at least 50% of it is an historical film about the time, setting, place, the people. It's a great religious discussion. It's a great examination of family and uh, trauma and hard times that, and how that affects people and their response, as well as being this really interesting folktale. I would also argue it's a coming-of-age film as well, in the sense that the eldest daughter is the main character, really, especially towards the end it, becomes clear that she's the main character. There's a lot of mention, especially by the mother, that the mother's worried about her daughter's corruption as she's begat her womanhood kind of thing. So she's at this cusp of adulthood and they're all worried about how she's going to turn out in a religious sense. So I think in that way it's a coming-of-age film as well. I absolutely agree. And all those there are currents about how they react to it, and it's partly about how the family reacts and kind of false pieces under the pressure of these events and as you say a coming of age thing because Caleb is going through the same thing you know he's yeah. looking at his sister in a slightly sexual way and that's all a bit weird is he doing that oh, yes no, no no he is, he is. Oh, and that's the perfect that. That this, is, awkward, this yes. is the perfect environment for witches to arise because it's in these tumultuous times particularly regarding um religion sexuality um kind of concerns about a hostile environment, uh, any kind of tumultuous period, really, and especially about disruption of family, that's when people see witches, historically. Right. Okay, so if we're going to segue into the historical context, I would like to ask you both yeah. what you think a witch is. Where do you think that image came from? What are the kind of beliefs you associate with the witch? You're looking at me. Well, it's magic... Sorcery, spells, 
Uh, she can be good or she can be evil. Interesting. In a horror film, she's usually always evil, unless there's a good one who is fighting her. It's got to be a broomstick somewhere. Yep. Usually a broomstick, yep. I'm always thinking cauldrons, black cats, mm-hmm. top hats. Yes. Sabrina, does top she come hats. into this store? No, not top hats. You had pointed <laughs> hats. Pointy hats. Pointy, Pointy hats, hats. yeah. Sabrina, does she come into it anyway? Yeah. So, sometimes, obviously, you always think about like the witch's nose from Holy the Grail. Witch's... Oh, but no. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the child catcher, aren't I? Scariest character All in the world. All anti Semitic. Is that right? Yeah. <gasps> well, Do you know you could be right. Yeah, so I there's see what this. You mean. So the demonization of huh? witches. That with means the... I'm not allowed to watch Chipsy Bang Bang ever again. Well, I mean. I think it's just that in in the context of the witch, at least, yeah. she emerges out of a time when Jews are being persecuted, mm. well, long before the witch even arrives, but um, often for the same things. They persecute supposed witches and Jews alongside heretics and lepers and the like. So there's kind of a plausible theory that the popular image of the witch is an amalgamation of all these images of persecuted peoples including Jewish people and Jewish stereotypes. So, you know, there's something in that. Okay, so all those things are actually quite uh, old elements, except for the good witch thing. The good witch is a a figure that emerges around the 19th century out of the, like, fairy godmother idea. The, The traditional image of the witch is always evil. Sorry, you didn't get good witches in... No. So you can have a, um... Obviously, there's the idea of the like cunning folk, the the wiki or whatever. Um, so were they healers at any point, or ever? Yeah. So there's healers? this idea that cunning folk are healers, and they're kind of they're neutral because they're they're nothing to do with Christianity. They're a Christian. Um, they don't have anything to do with the Christian witch. Are they typically least... pagan? Well, yeah, they're not Christian. Okay. So. So you didn't get a cunning woman in the village. I the woman that you went to get your potions and herbs from to help you in various situations because your cow's got what X or your daughter's got Y. Are they they weren't seen as in any way supernatural because they are Christian, obviously. Well, I mean the the they did overlap later in the witch trials when they started when it became a systematic trying of people, um, they did obviously target a bunch of cunning folk because they were around these dead animals, uh, rotting food, dying crops kind of things that witches would be held responsible for. But in the beginning, the witch image was created as like an anti-Christian force of evil. So any real disruption of religious or family, if the family is a microcosm of God's family, then it's a disruption of the family or a disruption of Christianity. So loads of the key things that sum up the witch are perversions of Christianity or perversions of the family. Or perversions of the great chain of being? Does that concept have any role in this? Yeah, I mean, it is all like a, a disruption of order. It's any any transgression, really. So a big thing is about femininity. And obviously the question of how woman relates to witch is a really tricky um, concept to get your head around. I think women were often portrayed as witches or tried as witches, targeted as witches, because they were around the things that witches were accused of. They were the people who were around the dying animals, the dying crops, the miscarriages. Um, They were handling this stuff. So if, if someone's like, my crops are dead, this must be the work of a witch. 
it's probably going to be the woman that they go to who's, you know, like soured the milk or... So you don't think it's consciously misogynist? I think misogyny was ingrained in the society that was trying witches. And is that because there were more rules and restrictions placed upon women in everyday society about what they should be doing and how they should be acting? And those same rules didn't carry across to the men? I mean, yeah, there's, if, the, if the witches, especially if the witches about sexuality and transgressions of sexuality in and out of the family, so witches are always sexually excessive, and that kind of echoes the medieval European, early modern European idea of the woman as sexually insatiable and basically the cause of all lust and temptation, sexual temptation in the world. So um, even if a... And we see it in the film, actually, mm. that yes. the, the young boy Caleb. discovers his sexuality and projects it onto an image of woman as witch because she's the temptation, she's the sexually um, excessive one. And the mother s believes that Thomason, the oldest girl, because she is maturing, that she has inflicted this the sexual desire upon him. Right. That she's corrupting him mm. because of her sexual kind of presence and that that's her fault. And that's just... I mean, and it's interesting that in the film, Thomason is never really... She never expresses any active sexuality. She just, as a woman, is implied by the others around her to be a sexual being because that's how women were viewed. So... Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the so witch how well did we do on our witch thing then? Did we? Not did very we well. Okay, thank you. Well, that's good it, that we did. It is interesting to no, great. to point <laughs> out as well from the little that I know that that men and animals were accused of witches and killed throughout the persecutions, but it was quite a small amount, correct? Yeah, it was a smaller percentage, but it basically helps to counteract this like popular mythology that. The witch trials were a purge on a purge of active, assertive women in a kind of targeted sense. So that's a, a popular misconception okay. about the witch trials. Even though misogyny feeds into right. the way the witch trials were carried out and the image of the witch, it's not so simple as to say that it was a purge on active women. Gotcha. It's because it's uh, the witch trials are about a wider set of cultural fears. It's a it's about the crumbling social order, fear of invading countries, fear of the plague, the Reformation and humanism and new scientific explorations. All these kind of different things are creating a more unstable community as a right. whole. That is under that's, threat and under pressure. Yeah. So, you know, some people have, some historians have suggested that the witch trials were in some way um, put in place to kind of help reassert order. Patriarchy. It's the church oh. trying to kind of reassert their strength by kind of... Punishing deviance in some yeah, way. Yeah, but not in such a straightforward way as these are the deviants and we're going to wipe them out, but they want something to project the deviants onto. Right. And those happen to be innocent people. Right. And it's also uh, important, correct, that during this time science still hasn't discovered enough about the world that there's a lot of afflictions being brought across people on people across the world. And when they don't understand why something is happening, for example, their crops, or somebody being unable to give birth, or terrible bad luck 
um, upon a family that the only way they can rationalise bad things happening is to assume that the devil has been at work, correct? Yeah, well, there's a the really interesting thing I find about witchcraft is that since about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I think since about the 12th century, possibly even earlier, but at least since the 12th century, there's a growing sense of Satan as an embodied physical figure that sort of, I think in the sort of um, the older biblical texts, you have a sense of Satan as just a vague, adverse force um, that just really stands in for evil. Um, but around the 12th century, and it kind of grows into the medieval, early modern period, that Satan is an embodied figure, a beast usually, that walks the earth and kind of looks for people to corrupt, evil to do, um, witches to do his bidding. Um, so we have that sense that evil is everywhere, lurking, looking for um, things to to destroy and so it corrupt. becomes personified in yeah. some way. Yeah, because okay, it's interesting. One of the questions, that, things I wasn't sure about is there's always this feeling that you're describing Wolf about not understanding and not being able to interpret things that happen and therefore making supernatural causes for it. Very often in God's judgment on sinfulness. So the cow died because I must have done something wrong to mm. anger God. Um, and also a non-Christian, you know, general superstition type thing. Um, so why, why does that become translated into witchcraft particularly? Is it because it's a particularly tumultuous time or is there some other reason why that suddenly becomes rather than just a general... Well, no one really knows why the witch trials happened or where the image of the witch came from. There are actually witch trials before images of the witch were sort of widely circulated, interestingly enough. There's the the first recorded witch trial is in 1324, but they don't turn into a systematic witch craze until about 1480 in some areas of Germany and France specifically. And I suppose that ties in with the first images of witches in visual art and culture is Albrecht Dürer's two images, uh, Witch Riding Backwards on a Goat and The Four Witches, which were in 1500 and Obviously, you've got the Malleus Maleficarum in 1487. So that's a witch hunting pamphlet. Probably the most famous. He's going to say obviously, but out of you and me. It's like the most famous one. Okay, Malleus, Malleus, yeah, obviously, yeah. (laughs) It's like the most famous one. Okay, Two Dominican friars. It's extremely, extremely misogynistic. And it's actually anomalous in how misogynistic it is. So lots of feminist historians have used it as an example of how um, the witch trials were explicitly misogynist. But it is anomalous in that regard. And it's a really horrible read. I can't a really read it horrible then. read. Um, but so, yeah, so it's around 1480 that the witch trials become systematic. Um, and it, throughout the next century or so, uh, it spreads to other parts of continental Europe, England, Scotland. And then, of course, uh, when we set up the first colony in North America in 1620, the beliefs in witches and the trials carry across the ocean um, and they continue everywhere really until the end of that century. So the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts in 1692 are one of the very last major cases of 
witch trials. And then the the beliefs kind of fizzle out and people start to be more sort of rational in inverted commas. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. which helps us segue beautifully actually into how historically accurate the film was in terms of its representation of the witchy myth. Well, I do have a few things to mention first, which I think is really interesting about this. So, we've now talked about the classic examples of what makes a witch, how that's come about. Did you notice that in the film, they lay out every single plot point and every single characterization that they believe in, as a faith and as a people, in witches, right at the beginning of the film, so that we now know what to expect as the film progresses. Do they do that? And we know how to identify. So... The two youngest accuse Thomason of being a witch. They do, that's true. She replies by then telling them that she is a witch and this is what she's going to do to them. And then she explains every part of her behaviour that a witch would do. This is brilliant for two reasons. A, because it foreshadows, but also because it clearly explains to us what they believe and, and how deeply they believe in this. And while she's going through and she's describing what she's what she's going to do to the children, that she's going to eat them, that she's going to ride on her broomstick, all this kind of stuff. She's describing everything. It's a really interesting... It comes, what, ten minutes in, maybe? Mm. A really fascinating, quick little explanation for the audience mm. to fill them in and make them aware that these people 100% believe that witches do exist. You're also thinking, why are you doing this? Yes. Stop yes. doing this. Please stop doing this. Get, it's going to come back and bite you in the bum. Please stop doing this. It's it. very risky. Yeah. Very you would risky. Think, with that mother. Uh, but that builds tension as well. It's a really brilliant yes. way because we know that they're just children playing games, but maybe it's because of the shadow of the Salem Witch Trials that we're kind of aware of. We can tell that it's not going to work out and that she should not be saying anything witch-related. That's the yeah. one word she should not say because we know that she is going to be targeted. Hey, Thomason, nothing witch-related. <laughs> Great. So, in addition to this, while we talk about the religious beliefs, um, I thought that the cinematography was really interesting uh, in how it frames their faces and how they're often looking at the camera. It begins with an actual confession from Thomason when she's speaking to God but I think that it continues throughout the film. And it works for a number of reasons. One of them, I think, is to give us that kind of, we are the confession booth, we are like the priest, we are God or the devil, and we are listening to these people's sins and their kind of inner struggles, and they preach that to us as the audience, which I think is a really interesting and powerful way of delivering the characters to us through the film. But then the framing also means that we don't often see what's happening. So it builds tension. When we know that Caleb is looking at something that is frightening, we can only see the fear on his face and we have to imagine what he is witnessing. And same for any member of the family. But then it also adds in a level of ambiguity about what they're witnessing because we are often not seeing what is happening in the film, which leads us to have to decide what... Is actually happening to this family and how it's working. Yeah. And I think I'll throw it out there because I love this. There are a lot of connections to The Shining, and I'm. I think Here anybody. We go. I think. Here we go. I think anybody who watches this film and who likes The Shining should have a little think about how they kind of connect together because it's, it's a, a heavy influence on the film. It's a giveaway when Caleb brings out the chainsaw, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Here's Caleb. <laughs> he doesn't, by the way. <laughs> 
there are lots of parallels between those films and it's a key influence on the director and this film and it's a really interesting how that film studies family in a claustrophobic uh, supernatural situation and how this kind of plays out as well so just put that one out there Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, the other thing while we're still on film is the, uh, the wilderness thing. I thought the wilderness was amazing. So it's almost like a wall. Yeah. You know, they stand in front of this forest, which almost looks vertical in front of you, because it goes mm-hmm. up a hill. And it's kind of like the otherness. You know, you're never out of this idea that here are pioneers in the wilderness fighting something which is not friendly. And completely unfamiliar and hostile. And it's interesting that you pointed out that at the beginning we see those Native Americans walking in the, in, just inside the gates to the settlement. Um, so we know that they are a presence there. There are people that do not want them here. I mean, maybe yeah, I've just... Indeed, no, absolutely. But, and yeah. yet they never reappear. And the fact they never reappear makes it even worse because you think they're out there somewhere. Again, like like the very land being hostile to these people who are trying to impose themselves. And them. that's what the witch is. That's what the witch symbolises. The witch is a way of summing up every single fear that these people have and embodying them in in one person so that they can deal with it. Yeah, and the in witch, a in a sense, the witch is the land, isn't it? The witch yeah. is, is the thing that is trying to push them out. And interestingly, the witch in early modern art is always associated with nature, with, with woods or with chaotic landscapes, because it's about disruption of order and how best to um, portray that than in nature. Which and, is- of course, there's the uh, relationship between woman and nature that plays into it a lot there's this idea that women are closer to nature in kind of archaic um forms of thinking if woman is body and earth and man is rational and and just to bring the allotment into it (laughs) because the you about to say you need a witch to help look after your allotment i really need a witch to get rid of my weeds but also there's that thing about nature gardening in at that time it's not about the arcadio the, the arcadia stuff of you know the glorious wilderness and the mm. the naturalness of nature. It's all about formal gardens, controlling it, tying it down, putting boundaries, making it safe and ordered. So that same yeah. thing comes through. This is wilderness. Well, they say at the beginning, we will conquer the wilderness. The desire is to go out into the wilderness, conquer it, take this continent and make it their own. And but it's not going to go easily. Yeah. It's that. Um civilizing you know that like the like horrible concept of civilizing an untamed culture that is that sums up mm. the uh mm. the colonists yeah. because we talked about their sort of puritan beliefs i think it's important right from the very get-go the family doesn't really want to leave the community it's kind of out of pride that they leave um ever since that moment happens they they always talk about the fact that they've transgressed they've wronged god they've failed him and so every time something bad happens to them every time the crops fail or anything like that the assumption is it's because they were wrong Mm. they 
carried out this transgression and now they're being punished for it. So then they quickly all turn to their Bibles yeah. and they get reading mm. so that they can try and repent. And they're continually repenting for their sins mm. all the time. And I think they just they are really imparting their fears about and their kind of religious ideas onto the landscape in front of them. If nothing else, the the soundtrack, when you think about it, those woods are not that frightening. Mm. The score makes them horrifically yeah. frightening. <laughs> and that's kind of how they impart their fears upon the, the yeah. world around them. And, and the hare's nose also a little bit. We need to go to historic accuracy. Uh, so, how accurate is it historically? The thing that I'll say first before Millie comes in is that the film is generally regarded as very accurate. Right. And the director is not shy about the fact that he's done years and years of research, the fact that he's a New England native and is familiar with it, and that he... How old is he? I don't know. He's, well, he's not 400 years old. But yes. what I mean, he's like, Just he's wondering. from New England, so he, you know, it's a part of him. And he attempted as much as possible to recreate and build the properties, the clothing, to have the... with all the original materials, in all the original ways, with the right equipment and stuff so that everything looks and feels completely real. It's all filmed with natural lighting and candlelight, so that it's very dark, and we kind of see the world as it would have looked to them. It's The language is obviously altered. Everything, and he collected all of the kind of dialogue is taken, a lot of it's taken directly from texts, journals, diaries from the time. And there's a scene where Caleb actually recites texts from the Puritan founder of New England, John Winthrop. He'll recite him directly. Uh, so they really take all those details from the world and the setting and they put in everything so that we feel of that right. authenticity. I, mean, I certainly felt that almost everything was felt as though it was realistic. I mean, I'm not as boned up as you. The only thing was, he couldn't have built that house on his own. Yeah, they did it so fast. I'm sorry. They did it so I fast. Would, I mean, obviously he's got to do it because the film, he can't say, right, I'm sorry, we're going to spend 30 minutes of this film building a house. But, you know... Apart from that, and they wouldn't normally have had garrets, apparently. They have a garret. Oh. They wouldn't normally have had garrets, because they would just built the first floor. Anyway, but apart from that, I absolutely agree. It comes across as brilliantly realistic, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't have much knowledge about the Puritan, or like their way of life, but I do have some points to make about the beliefs. How accurate is the representation of witchdom? I think it is pretty to very accurate. Okay. Okay, um, the most important thing and probably the thing that I like most about the film is that it portrays witches in different ways, three different ways, actually, um, all of which I think are very accurate. So the first one we see, and this is a bit spoilery, is this idea of the hag. Um, so in early modern Europe, in sort of visual art, we get a lot of... Um, old, really masculinized, um, screaming old hags with kind of flowing hair, um, always naked, really muscular, but also flabby and sinewy at the same time, just like really grotesque as possible. The point is that in these artworks, they're exaggerating everything. They're excessively grotesque is the point. Think gargoyles. That's basically the hag. And she's always on a broomstick or an animal, flying through the air, screaming, probably feasting on babies, which is a classic. 
actually, because it's about the yeah. the disruption of the family and the anti-maternal. You feast on babies rather than raising them. Isn't that a... I, I kind of assumed, in my ignorance, that this was a, a youth thing. I mean, like Stardust. Obviously, very historical movie. I love movie. Stardust. I love Stardust, too. And it's obviously incredibly realistic. Um... Uh, should we sing the song briefly? Uh, da, da, da. No, okay, it's not there. Um, the bit, the youth, you know, that she's stealing the youth, that witches steal the youth of the baby. Yeah, no, to... it was, um, she, okay, when they eat babies, they're not trying to steal the youth oh, of okay. babies, but there is a classic thread in kind of witch mythology, like old witch mythology, that they commit evil acts against young women, young fertile women, because they're jealous of their reproductive capabilities because we have to remember that the witch is a patriarchal myth so obviously women are obsessed with reproduction yeah. having a good family um, and a husband and all this kind of stuff because yeah. obviously yeah you know obviously um but that is portrayed in in the film you know this hag right. so it's not the stealing the youth it um so that that trope of the hag that is present in early modern art is ever present throughout the film and it's incredibly accurate actually in multiple ways um the other the other main way of depicting witches in early modern art was the idea of a young sexually excessive and kind of temptuous um seductress kind of thing so it's the same idea of the like long flowing hair and the nudity because that basically sums up a disorderly woman an orderly woman is, like, covered up and has her hair up. Um, so that's the other type, and that appears in two different forms in the film, actually. There's one moment with Caleb, which is interesting because he views her that way because of his... We've already kind of discussed yeah. it. He's got his burgeoning sexual feelings, and he projects it onto an image of a sexually appealing witch, I yeah. guess, and she kind of enforces sexuality on him. So there's this sense that... Yeah, he's projecting his lustful feelings onto her, which is an exact use of the witch in early modern art. Um, what about also the animal stuff? So there's quite a lot of animal natural stuff in the mm -hmm. hair with the twitchy nose. Yeah, so um, witches, the devil and witches were able to transform into multiple different things. So with the hag and the temptress, the idea is that they transform between each other. So we never really know the true image of the witch because they can transform between each other based on what people are going to be tempted by or um, afraid of. So um, the mother is afraid of the anti-maternal witch, so that's what she sees the witch as. Caleb is afraid of the sexual energy, so he sees the witch as this sexually encoded woman. They can also transform into animals a variety of small animals. Um, and obviously this goes alongside the idea of witches' familiars, which is present from the early modern period. So familiar is the small demon that appears in the form of a small animal like a cat or a bird or a hare. Um, and they accompany witches wherever they go and help them do their evil deeds. But witches can also transform into these little animals. So the hare basically that occurs throughout the film could be the witch transformed or it could be a witch's familiar. Um, but, yeah, interesting. I actually have a really interesting point about okay. the hair. There was a witch trial in England in 1596, which was the case of Thomas Darling. 
Thomas Darling went hunting with his father, hunting for hares, um, and he got lost in the woods. And when he returned, he was bewitched. He had, and when I say bewitched, he had fits of hysteria, basically. Um, and nobody knew what was wrong with him. And he said that he had seen a witch and had had a conversation with a witch in the woods. Um, I don't want to do spoilers, but that's really cle- a really an clear influence. parallel yeah. to what happens in the yeah. film with Caleb. Um, except that Caleb's encounter with the witch is more tailored to his experiences in the film. Yeah. Um, in the actual case of Thomas Darling, he actually saw like a hag type figure and it was said to be mm. his neighbour, Alice Goodrich, who was tried as a witch. But he then claimed, he then said that he'd made it all up. Right. Well, after she was dead, I guess? You know what? I don't know. Okay. But he did say, he did say that he'd made it all up. Um, but I just thought that parallel was that's very close, yeah, very interesting yeah. in terms of yeah. historical accuracy. I relate back to what you were saying about Robert Eggers yeah. reading all these documents. Yeah, so he's heavily researched witch law in North America as well as across mm. Europe, and he's taken all the parts of the mythology and then used a lot of them in crafting this mm. film, and they kind of flow throughout. Okay, so witch-wise, it's very accurate. Okay, I have one... It kind of follows on from the animal thing, is why I was going to say it, which is about Black Philip. Black Philip? How could we not talk more about Black Philip? Yeah, so Black Philip. you've, Wolf, found out that Black Philip is entirely fictional as a concept in terms of the song that they're singing and Black Philip in general. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, but... What about goats? But goats yeah. feature heavily in early modern European art depicting the devil. Um, There's a couple that I'm thinking of, and I can't remember the names, but they're in pamphlets, witch hunting pamphlets, that depict um, the devil as a five-horned black goat sat on a throne. Sometimes the middle one is on fire, because it's a bit extra. Sometimes sometimes a goat or a goat man also leads uh, people into the witch's Sabbath. Yeah, Will lead people to the kind of... And in the, in the Black Sabbath, they often um, have to kiss the goat's anus. This is, why, I mean, this is why the Black Sabbath is a perversion of the Christian mass. Because and no a one... great band. Really? <laughs> you can know a band called the Kissing the Goat's Anus? No, no. Black Sabbath. <laughs> That's, their oh, sorry, That's their first album. That's their first album. It was excellent. retitled to Black Sabbath because it was easier for the audience. Than saying it's a bit like um, yeah. Smell the Glove from... Uh, Spinal tap. You can't have I just that. think we need to move on. Okay. So, yeah, so the goat, the goat, the devil being able to transform into a goat and taking the form of the goat is pretty accurate. Right. Um, the devil was usually in this period depicted as a goat or a kind of half animal beast, usually horned, hooved, um, because of all the different connotations. And goats are kind of were generally thought of as being like excessively sexual. So again, you have the idea of sexuality and the demonization of sexuality literally in the image right. of the devil as goat. Fantastic. Which is really unfair to goats, oh, goats I feel. Cute, actually. Yeah, yeah, they're really lovely. So, so just to round up, I think it's important to note that I have a quote here from a history professor from Salem State University who loves the film. Emerson Baker 
said that it's just about the best depiction of early New England possible. Right. Genuinely right. screened the movie yeah. for people at the university to be like, this is what the world looked like. Right. A really great uh, depiction of the time, the people, right. how they felt. Uh, and the, also other historians and uh, researchers have said that the general depiction of the witch and their belief in the witch is all completely accurate. I I have a I have a point to raise though, leading on from the devil, is that I don't understand why he was portrayed as a man later on in the film. Was he portrayed as a man? Yeah, so later on in the film, when she's talking to him, when she's talking to Black Philip, he then becomes so, a man. Does he? Yeah, and we see his spurred boots walk past the camera. Oh. And he's a sort of shadowy I've managed to miss that a bit. A shadowy figure of a man. Okay. And I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, the devil was always portrayed as a beast right. of sorts, okay. a beast, demon beast, up until the 18th century. So, I, interesting. I must have, I'd missed the hit turning to man, because that, probably because I was screaming at the time. The one thing about the film generally, actually, was that I thought the end was, obviously we can't describe what the end is, but I thought the end was entirely rational. If I had been Thomas in that situation, I'd thought, hmm, what's my best way out of this problem? Yeah. I'm going to take that one. Other people have said that was really confusing. Suddenly she did this thing. Um, that that final scene is basically an exact replica of a early modern piece of art about witches. It is, honestly, if you Google search Hans yeah. Boldon Grien, The Witches... Okay. 1536. Right. How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with there was one more point before we go to marking, wasn't there, that you mentioned? I just wanted to ask the question about this film. Do you think the witch is real? David? Me first. Yeah. Well, first. I, I, I formulated my thoughts. Have you? I would mm. like to hear yours. Uh, yes. You do. 100% real. Of course it's a witch. So... Because okay. of the witch. So the witch is, all these the witch is doing absolutely everything. Yes, because you see the witch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Okay. Seeing is believing, Millie. Okay, but is it not interesting that... Because my argument is that the witch is real, but only in the sense that they believe it's real. The witch exists. The witch exists in the film because they believe it exists. The one confusion I had the first time round with Henry was that I thought my big discussion well, was any of the witch or not, and I think I changed my view about that. Um, but of course, the witch is. No but the witch is multiple different things all at once, which is fine. She's a witch. Yeah, but the witch exists only as only in accordance with the specific fears of each member of the family. She appears differently to every person, depending on their specific situation. And in an but we see, <clears throat> you know, without anybody out there being another vision. Without anybody watching her. Also, just as a side note, in an earlier draft of the script, she actually very openly appears completely differently to every member of the family. And they're all kind of divided and given equal amounts of time where they kind of see her. Why are you both looking at me like this? The witch exists. <laughs> okay, it should be the clear. The witch does exist, but I think the witch exists for Thomason at the end for reasons... Of career choices. Reasons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, fine. But yeah. I wanted to say that when I watched the film the first, even the second time, I was certain there was a witch. 
100% certain. And this okay. is why I think I sit on the fence. Okay. But from later viewings... That's painful? It's... <laughs> Um, we haven't decreed what type of fence it is, no, so... Picket fence, it's always yes. picket okay. fence. Okay. I think the film is really interesting to consider from this later purpose, and I talked about the, the camera angle not showing you what's actually happening, and do you not think it's interesting that there, there's so much foreshadowing? So, Thomason, for example, talks a lot about an apple, really early on in the movie. She implants this image in Caleb's mind. He also is glancing at her in a sexual way. So we see his sexual kind of awakening and he's thinking about these things. So we know there's all these ideas coming together in his head. So then when he sees th certain things, the images are reappearing again, just more obviously to him now. I think each of the characters is kind of befallen by themselves, their own inner demons that are afflicting them and the chaos that they're having as a unit, I think it just expresses okay. itself differently to each of them. I've got the answer to this. We can ask the listener about whether the witch really exists or whether the witch was merely a reflection of each individual's fears. Should you ask that question? Yes, of course. Then let's do that. I do think the, the number one thing that Millie's mentioned, and this is important, whether the witch exists or does not exist, it is vital that we believe the characters believe in the witch. And I don't think that's in question ever. No. Every single one of them 100% yes. believes that she is real. And they believe in the reality of witchcraft in the we, everyday world. Yes. And, and we the just, reality of God in the everyday world. And we yeah. just have to decide as an audience if there is actually a witch who's befalling them or have they left their community, gone out into the absolute wilderness, they don't know how to grow their crops, they don't know how to harvest the land. They're okay with that. They, the crops they die, die, though. The crops do no, die. No, they don't. They, 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 the crops have got to the end. The crops have, have got to the end of their natural life. Because you see them cutting the corn on the cob off, and he's going to go and sell the corn on the cob. Yeah, but I then he says is... they're cursed, and, and they, all the crops are coming up black yeah. and all ruined. That's the whole point. The crops are ruined. The crops are ruined. He, I, so what I'm saying is... is Did you watch the movie? We've moved, <laughs> we've moved from England across the ocean. We've set up a new community in this distant land that we aren't accustomed to. They're afraid of all these animals that we didn't have. They're afraid of th these native people that, that what they didn't know about before. They're ostracised from their community, so now they have to go it alone. Okay. And when bad things happen to them, right. they don't know how to okay. rationalise it. I just think naturally... And the winter's coming as well. Fine. Yeah. Okay, so let's score it then. Okay, so... How good as a film is it? Out of ten, Millikin. I think it's an eight out of ten Eight out of ten, I, I put an eight. I'm going to go for seven. I understand those people who say, oh, it's really boring, nothing happened. Boring? Yeah, loads of people went for one. Wow. You are either eight, nine, ten, or one. So it's quite slow moving, is what I'm saying. It was quite terrifying. It wasn't so terrifying that I couldn't get to the end of it. I think you do have to be open-minded to it. I think you have to be a little bit interested in the history. If you don't want to listen to the archaic language and the structuring of the sentences and how they talk about religion and their views on the world. And if you want rivers of blood. Yeah, and if you, if you don't want to listen to There's people... There's only really one river of blood. Mm. There is a river of blood? Spoiler alert. Is this back to The Shining? <laughs> <laughs> right, great. So we're going to eight, eight, of course, two yeah. to one. And then accuracy. Millie I think as a depiction of um, witchcraft beliefs in the 1630s, it's incredibly accurate. I'm going to go nine out of ten. Because I just think that if if we think of uh, the image of the witch and myths of the witch being told 
through word of mouth between communities. Um, this is the kind of tale that they would have told, pretty much exactly from the things that happen to the way that they see the witch. Um, it all seems totally accurate. I also forgot to mention that they do have the Devil's Book, which is a real thing. Right. Signing the Devil's Book because it's an active, it's an active betrayal of God, rather than waiting for God's love to. Right which I think is important. It's about activity, like assertiveness outside of the community. What was the devil's book then? The devil's book is the, the book that the devil offers you. I see. And you sign I, the devil's I, book. I got you. Got you, you sign Sorry, the devil's book and he gives you magical yeah. powers or youth or okay. money. So you're going nine? Yeah, I'm saying a nine as well. My reasoning being that I can't find any criticisms really about the authenticity of the recreation of the time place setting the voices and beliefs of the people the clothing is very accurate as much as possible it's being made to be exactly the way that it was um the houses attempted to be built the same way that it would have been they live off all the same crops the lighting everything it's all being done there to make you feel that it's really really authentic and i think that comes across and if the folklore is accurate for the time as well then Obviously, I think we would be people are going to say, "How can a witch do all of this stuff?" And we know that witches don't exist. So, so, so how could that be then. possible? Yes, I'm going to go for a nine. I'm just. I think I have to raise what the natural criticism of, of the film is. You want to head it off at the park? Oh. Great. Uh, okay, I would go for a nine too, not a ten, because uh, there's a there's not a Garrett. Because he couldn't have built it that that quickly. Because nobody put the top top back on the lime, and I think that's it really. There was another one. My main thing is about the the devil being depicted as a man. Being devil I'm not convinced. as a man. And also there's one instance of a witch being clothed, which, which is just right. completely out of line. Okay, very good. I want to know about the history of sexy clothing, but I don't think it appeared right. this early. Well, that's a great thing. Well, so, David. Clothing. Yes. So we've got we've, we've now nine. Yes, but we've now bought you a film yeah. that is about witches and folklore. And we've talked about it being historically accurate and giving it a 9 out of 10. Yes. How does that make you feel? Well, I feel it's great because we, we, I wanted to give Master and Commander 55. Yes. So, yeah, it's great. That's good. I mean, I think, yeah, that's okay. Basically, we're saying the framework... Well, more important in this one, Millie's idea, that, or your idea, whoever's idea it was, that the way people saw the world and the myths and legends they created around them is as much part of history as is whether Henry VIII did or did not cut off Anne Boleyn's head. And, uh, yes, and I think another really but, interesting thing is that these ideas about the witch, when we were asked what we envisioned the witch as, we're, we're saying things that are just passed on through every form of media, storytelling, mm. narrative that is possible, has been delivered to us throughout our entire lives, and all of that has come over hundreds and hundreds of years of passing on of stories, telling of mm. myths and legends. Yes. It, it's just in our blood. Which brings me to a final point. You don't have to put your hand up, Millie. All right. Um, which is that if the witch is an embodiment of fear, I think the, I, the fact that the witch is so um, prevalent even now and has been over time only serves to enhance that argument that the witch is an embodiment of fear. Culturally specific, right. temporally specific fear. And because fear always exists, the witch will always exist. And I find it really interesting that in this movie made now, the witch wins. 
Fear essentially wins, right? Can you say that? The witch wins? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fear think, wins. Transgression okay, wins. Okay. And I find that fear the most... Fear breaks apart the front. I think I find that the most right. interesting right. part of this movie. I'm sure it's a plot spoiler. It's not. The I Shining. I think it's quite obvious. The Shining. I think it's quite obvious from the beginning. Okay, fine. So, okay. Great. So we've got a score. We're all in agreement. There is peace and harmony in here, although in New England in 1620, there was less peace and harmony. So there's not any pot spoilers. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, first of all, we've got Dave and Wolf's Roundup. Wolf and David's Roundup. They're the rootness, tootness cowboys in the wild, wild west. Wolf and David's Roundup. The Lion in Winter and by Jiminy. How you love this one. I mean, OK, there was a fan number of you who've never seen it, and that's fair enough, given how old it is. But fired by the enthusiasm of the group, you've all packed your bags and your hopes in a suitcase and are flying off to watch it now. Pretty much all the rest of your 85% of you who watched it loved it. 29 of you put it in your top 10 history movies category. Slightly worried that Trace has watched it 30 times. The comments on Facebook were just full of enthusiasm and joy. Albeit... There was just a small group of us who essentially either didn't like or were a bit bored by the bickering thing. I have a sneaking agreement with David, who was a bit bemused and was just waiting for the whole thing to be over, and Claire, who doesn't like films wherein families bicker, and Alan, who compared it to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I think is on the nail. But even Alan had to admit that Hermione, his other half, loved it to death and would need to be prevented from watching a Catherine Hepburn film, spelled with an A, by the way, not film, Catherine, prevented by a cactus and a croquet mallet. The rest of you just went for all the zingers, and the zingers are legion. Shall we hang the holly or each other? I'm vilifying you, for God's sake, look at me. The vexine's mine. By what right? It's got my troops all over it. That makes it mine. I could go on, but I won't. On a personal note, this is a film I did not particularly like, and History and Technicolor has made me enjoy it quite a lot. So, there we go. The power of groups. Okay, fantastic. And now we're going to have a bit of a begging letter because we haven't done this yet. We haven't begged and pleaded. And every podcast that gets to the stage in their personal development in life where they plead and they say to their audience, would you please go and Send us, us money! <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Later. No. Please go to iTunes and rate us and write us a review. As long as it's a really nice review. If it's a really rubbish review, don't. And of course... Come and join us on Facebook afterwards and tell us what you thought about The Witch and about our discussion. It's always really helpful and uh, we particularly appreciate all the recommendations for films. Sadly, we will never be able to do all of them, but we really enjoy looking them up and sometimes they're already on our list and we are thinking about them and we will get to as many as we can. Very good. Indeed. And on that, we have uh, a schedule I put up on the Facebook site. So after The Witch, we're going to have Mary, Queen of Scots. We're going to compare the 1971 movie to the new movie. So we're doing an absolutely new up-to-the-moment movie, which is a bit of a scary. So it's going to be out in the cinemas. You have two weeks to see it before our episode comes out. Good point. So if you're interested, make sure you get along in that first two weeks. And then you can uh, join us as we uh, break it down. Roll up, roll up, roll up. And then we've got another one in the next one, which is Wolf Choice, which is... We don't know. And then after that, we've got a three-way on Robin Hood following on this... (laughs) I didn't sign up for this, David. This is not in my contract. I will call ACAST. I've made a faux pas, haven't I? I've said something awkward. We're doing Robin Hood. We're looking at three Robin Hood examples, and we're going to carry this idea on, and we're going to examine how Robin Hood exists in our kind of social 
historical right. understanding. And is there any accuracy to him? And how has his story kind of been crafted and changed over time? We're going to move sort of through the right. Errol Flynn version back in the 30s. Yeah. All the way up to modern interpretations yeah. now. And we will have a guest called Glenn. So thank you very much to... Me? Millie, yes. Thank you very much, Millie Ken. And, You're welcome. And to Wolf, of course. And to me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Are you not entertained? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.